Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome back to the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. Have you always wanted to start a journaling practice, but have struggled to keep up with it? Or are you looking for ways to use more journaling with your clients in therapy? I connected with today's guest through Instagram and was so intrigued by how she offers expert tips for starting and maintaining a transformative journaling practice. Jennifer Convasor is an LCSW and Reiki master with LiveWork Solutions, a psychotherapy practice licensed in New York, Connecticut, and South Carolina. She's been journaling for over 30 years and loves helping people find the right balance with journaling and holistic mental health. In 2021, she published Journaling for Non-Journalers, your expert guide to creating a journaling practice that works for you, which mixes the science of habit formation with guided journaling exercises and a comprehensive overview of the beginner, intermediate, and advanced benefits of this versatile self-healing tool. She teaches a variety of workshops, webinars, and online courses for a general audience as well as for other mental health professionals. She's also a proud mama of two cool kids, a singer-songwriter, rabid crafter, that just makes me laugh saying, (laughs) and vegan ice cream sundae artist. Welcome to the (laughs) podcast, Jennifer. Thank you. I love your bio with that fun part at the end. <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, it's it's a big part of me, so I felt like I had to add it. That's and, great. And thank you for your introduction. It's really great to be here. You know, I started yeah. out as a fan. Excellent. So what is a vegan ice cream sundae yeah. artist? <laughs> I have to ask. Of course. Well, you know, my favorite jobs ever were being an ice cream scooper when I was in high school. And I loved combining like strange flavors together and seeing how they worked. And it really felt like, you know, looking back on it now, really like an art form. And then in my twenties, I discovered that I could not have dairy. And that was, oh, a, no. I know, it was a huge blow. <laughs> so that's what I screamed. Um, and so it took the world a little bit to catch up, but now there are so many great yeah. flavors out there. Fun. Yeah. So can you tell my listeners any more about yourself and your work? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start. I, I I love the journaling bit and that really has become a focus. I think really because of the pandemic, I really wanted to give my clients some self-healing tools and things that they could do. And also people who were far afield. I used to be the director of mental health for a community center that closed down during COVID. And during that time, I was writing blog entries for the participants and I was supposed to be making a workshop called Life Map about journaling for mental health. I just decided to to take it take it online and and made some courses um, using Teachable and some other platforms and did webinars. And finally I really felt drawn to just write it all down. I, I found that people were getting some Zoom fatigue yes. and, and wanted to not doing not, not at least in their spare time, didn't want to do things with screens and really wanted to still hold something in their hands. And so instead of just doing a guided journal, I did also this comprehensive introduction to journaling, which is also an introduction to, you know, about four or five different kinds of journaling, as well as, as you mentioned, the science of habit formation to, to start, maintain, and really embody your practice. That sounds like that goes above and beyond of telling clients, you need to journal. 
period. That, that's <laughs> right. why I called it journaling for non-journalers. Yes. I really want to respect that a lot of people are not going to consider themselves journalers ever. Exactly. And, and I think a lot of people are, if they're told like, you need to start journaling, if they've never done it, they're like looking at their blank paper, like my therapist told me to do this, but exactly. what am I supposed to write? <laughs> it could be really intimidating and overwhelming. Yeah. Absolutely. So how could someone who's never journaled before get started? Well, there are, there are a bunch of different techniques that I recommend. And, and that's why I like to do it when I have some information about what somebody's struggles are. And, and but one of the things that I recommend most often is a bullet list. And this is not a things to do list. This is a list of things that you might be carrying around that might be stuffing your head and getting in the way of your focus or your being present and being active versus reactive and on all the things that that too much stuff in our head can do to us. I often recommend this to people before they go to sleep, especially if you're having any trouble sleeping at all, where you just take out, I like to do like, like a big Sharpie and like a sketch pad, or that's the way I visualize it at least, or, you know, like kind of a scratchy pencil, just something that really has some texture to it. So you can feel kind of how you're feeling as you're writing. And you just want to write things down that you might be preoccupied with, or that might be coming up for you as you try to sleep. And you can keep it by your bed and right in the middle of the night, if you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, as opposed to grabbing your phone, which I really do not recommend. And it's it's a non-narrative form of journaling where you're just writing down items and elements that are just coming to you in like a brainstorm fashion. And you can set your timer to do it for five minutes, two minutes, something that feels like a very manageable chunk of time, or sometimes even just saying one page, whatever feels to you like like discreet and non-threatening. And, and so I guess that would be like maybe the easiest way to start is using it for, I guess, like a utilitarian purpose, as opposed to like, you know, exploring your thoughts and feelings, which is also so beautiful and wonderful. But this, I think for people who are resistant to journaling is a great way to do it as a tool. And you're doing as a tool to just alleviate whatever thoughts might be creating like the rumination or, or the preoccupation. I think that's a, a really good starting place. But yeah, that and I think it's important to have a deeper discussion sometimes with clients because I found I did find mm-hmm. like it's like they have that deer in headlights, people that that's have right. never journaled right. and that's to right. understand that they can just write down a bullet list. It doesn't have to be complete sentences that's and grammar. Right. It like brings back trauma for some people from school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the yeah. big red pencil from their teacher and they did this wrong. And so a lot of people can't get started. Which is really an excellent point too, because what I would say to people is you don't want to edit, you don't want to look at grammar or spelling. I studied with Natalie Goldberg, who, you know, is is just a legend in this area. And what she would just say is just keep the hand moving, which oh, I love. I like that. Yeah. Just, just keep the keep hand the moving. moving. So I know, are you, do you try to promote like journaling and paper or do you talk to clients about what works for them or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, you're you're right on both counts. I have read studies that say that writing like the pencil to hand to to paper that circuitry there's something else happening in the brain that exceeds what you could get through electronic means. And you know, I'm I'm not a a neuroscientist. So I, I don't really necessarily know what's happening and what's firing your brain. I find that that it's it's better. It feels like a little bit more intimate. It's also so portable, right? And just there's no barrier to entry. But I do recommend plenty of other different ways of journaling if you can't. And and just to name a couple, I'm I'm really 
I love people to, to go away from their smartphones if possible, because they ju- it's just the window to so much distraction. But it's um, so hard with young adults. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. Um, so one thing that you can do if you're going to do it on your smartphone is do the, the dictation where you're, you're not typing, you're, you're, you kind of have your eyes closed maybe, and you're just doing, you know, the little microphone thing and, and speaking into a note file and then saving it someplace. Like when you either, if you download it to your computer or you just kind of lock it aside, but label it like something that, you know, means to you that these are your private musings. You might not want to write like private, but you know, maybe you write like accounting or something, something you know, that just says, okay, this is where I'm going to go to have all this stuff. Cause it, it is really good to look back on it. And then there are times where, you know, before the internet, I had a friend who lived across the country and she and I would trade at this point. It was, it was dictaphone tapes just to, to date myself. <laughs> <laughs> you could always do this with voice memos or whatever. And now with you know, cell phones, Bluetooth, whatever, nobody knows that you're talking to yourself, right? They just think you're talking to somebody. So right. you, can, you mm. can do that also. You just put your headphones on and you take a walk, take a walk in the woods. And you could even start with something, you know, like, you know, if it's if it's the friend who lives across the country, you know, dear Francesca. And and it really is a journal entry, but you're you're focusing on, you know, telling that person who's important to you, who's such a good listener. Yeah, I think the audio is so important for some people that mm-hmm. really struggle to sit down with mm-hmm. actually handwriting something out. Or, and mm-hmm. I thought it was just, I was just old school by liking the paper, but I guess mm-hmm. there could be some science behind it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is, which made me very happy too because you know I'm, I'm a lefty and I just like I I would miss that trail of uh, graphite on my two fingers on my left hand as I go across the page. Like, just there's so much tactile, you know, like stuff that happens when you're writing just like the sound and like the feel of the book in your hand and and opening and closing the book are really powerful metaphors for me too so you mentioned there's different kinds of journaling can you share more what that is sure yeah and i know that people who might study this in more of a formal way have you know different titles for things that maybe i'm going to use but just a few things one is what i call process journaling which is basically it's basically stream of consciousness journaling where you're, you're maybe having a kernel of something that you're starting with. And then as Natalie Goldberg would say, you're just keeping your hand moving and, and doing associations and whatever comes next. And you're just going to keep writing until you actually feel like a physical release. Sometimes I notice that, you know, my pencil marks are much darker in the beginning and there's a place in the middle, maybe where I'm feeling my anger and, you know, the letters get really big and I, you know, transcend all the lines and then really towards the end, it will be like softer and, and lighter pencil markings and my hand feels more relaxed. And that's the kind of process that you're doing. It's, it's a physical and emotional and mental release as you're guiding yourself through the process. And, and that's the kind of journaling that would allow you to record. It's what I call like, you know, the five R's, like you're going to record, reflect, and you're going to, you know, you're able to find those patterns by continuing to write in the same place. And reframe was, there we go. There we go. And rebuild, which is basically, you know, you kind of break yourself down sometimes when you're doing this work. You know, you're examining your behaviors and sometimes things don't look so great in retrospect. And so at the end of that kind of process journaling, I'd like people to kind of close the entry with something where they're, they're knitting themselves back up and they're being like the good coach to themselves and doing some self-compassion until finally the the last R is to reemerge. And when you reemerge from your from your process journal entry, 
you're basically putting back on the uniform of your day-to-day life, right? Like whatever that is, just kind of grounding yourself to the moment, you know, even just engaging your five senses, you know, how do I, what do I smell? What do I hear? All that to really, you know, it's like, it's like coming out of a dream sometimes when you're journaling. So that I'd say is my, is my favorite kind, but that, that is the kind that might be intimidating to the beginning journaler, right? That's more of that kind of advanced practice or people who are really great, you know, meditation or have been in therapy for a while, find that really easy to do. And it comes really naturally because they're almost, you know, writing to their therapist. There are a lot of other kinds of journaling that are much more accessible. And I know we've heard a lot about gratitude journaling these days. And gratitude journaling is great because there really are no rules to that, except that you're, you know, maybe writing down three things that you're grateful for and why, and and just taking a moment to do that. And that's a good way to retrain the brain to look for the positives in your life and to really, to fill your heart and your soul and, and kind of fill that well for the rest of it. You're able to, to notice differently, to kind of, you know, as you say, like label something like label it a delight, right? To yeah. really to say like, like, this is what brings me joy. This is what, this is what fills me. Of course, dream journaling is maybe something that people have wanted to do, but haven't been able to do. I can give a couple tips on how to start a dream journal if you want. I don't know if you want to get into that, but it's... it's what it's, is a dream journal? Okay, great. So I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I, was like, yeah, I don't know what she's talking about. Right, right. Okay, great. <laughs> dream journaling is, is really fun. Basically, what you do is you keep a notebook right by your bed. And before you do anything, when you wake up, you write down what you remember of your dreams. And the reason why you want to do it immediately is because our brains are so quick to, to do that, that shift change between like the sleeping mind and the waking mind, that as soon as you engage in your waking world, dreams tend to dissipate. And it's really amazing how quickly that happens. So you want to write down what you remember from your dream. And again, you might want to, you know, put a cap to it if you remember a lot of your dream and say, you know, I'm gonna give myself 10 minutes or a couple pages. And when you start doing this on a regular basis, the intention to remember your dreams because you have been practicing writing them down, it gets into your subconscious. And the subconscious is the part really that is engaged when you're sleeping, right? It's your unconscious mind. And so your unconscious mind, you you start to have a bit of lucidity in your dreams where you're a little bit more aware that you're dreaming in your dream, which is pretty amazing when you set that intention. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. And so with practice, you can remember dreams really like, like you're watching a little movie. And then at that point, you can take some time to do some analysis. And, and the kind of analysis I like best is, uh, is based on a book by Gail Delaney, where she says to imagine yourself or imagine you're talking to somebody who is an alien from another world. Don't assume that they know anything about your world. So when you're writing, when you're looking for symbols, and what your symbols mean. I don't really, I don't really love the idea of doing like a dream dictionary because I think symbols are very personal. And so if you said something like, I dreamed of a woman in a yellow dress holding a basket, right? You would break them down as if you were talking to this alien and saying something like, what is a woman? And you would be like, okay, what does a woman mean to me? What does that, what does that association mean? You know, what is yellow? Okay, so I'm gonna break down yellow. What is a dress? What's a basket? Where you're looking to see, because basically with dreams, they're like shorthand imagery, right? It, it's, they're not actually, t- well, actually, some people have dreams where that people are actually talking to you, but usually it's flashes of images. And so to decode what your brain is trying right. to tell you is just such an amazing practice. And 
I think I think it was it was either Jung or Freud who said, you know, that you know to not analyze a dream is basically like not opening a letter that's sent to you. Ooh, I um, like that. Isn't that great? I, yeah, maybe you want to look up the exact quote. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> that's okay. Like butchering these experts, but I love that too because you know what we know is most of our brain is actually operating on the subconscious level. the The waking mind and the the aware mind is a really small percentage of what's really happening in our brains. And then just one other one to mention would be a manifestation journal, uh, which might be something that your listeners have heard of, which is basically like setting intentions and creating some roadmap for what you want in your life. And an exercise I like to do with people is to create a vision board cover where, you know, you go through your magazines or newspapers or find some stickers and make the cover of your composition book or notebook, whatever you're writing in, just kind of like a, like a brainstorm of what you're trying to bring into your life. And then your journal also will be things that you were hoping to manifest, things that you're setting your intention to do. Like, I think it was an Instagram post I saw from, from Joe Sanak, who I know is, is oh, yeah. connected to you My guys. My podcast coach. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Where he's talking about the things to become list, which is also like kind of goes back to like James Clear's Atomic Habits, which, which I love, which is, you know, instead of a things to do list. How do we do a things to become? What are you trying to manifest yes. in your life? What are you doing that is building? How are you planting the seeds presently for that future you that is going to be reaping the rewards of that? And with all these journaling techniques that I'm talking about, they could either be discrete books where you have like your manifestation book and your dream journal, or they could just be techniques that you weave in with your, you know, in your notebook. And that's something that I think can't be overstated is that journaling should be personal. It's your practice. There's no right way to do it. I think that's helpful too for listeners to be aware of, especially if you teach clients how to journal that I think they do get into the right or this is wrong or am I doing it right? <laughs> Overthinking. Yeah. Like it's like it's every day and it's dear diary and it ends yeah, you know, exactly. with some sort of revelation and all that. Yeah. So I guess the most benefits, is it better to do it every day or does that matter? Uh, well, you know, that's a, that's a hard one. I think there are some people who, in order to start any sort of habit at all, they find themselves needing to do it every day because it just becomes something that stays in their, you know, their consciousness is, you know, it, you know, people who talk about habit formation would definitely say that you want to do it every day. But the reason why I would object to that is I don't like, again, any sort of barrier for entry for journaling. I, I don't think journaling is something you have to do every day if doing anything every day makes you feel very rebellious. Very yeah, and, I, and I ask that because I don't do it every day, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it helps me when I do it. Yeah, and so, I don't do it every day. And yeah. I wrote a book about it and I love journaling. And going back to, you know, something else that, that I weave into the book, this great book called Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. There was this amazing study that they, they outline in the book where a bunch of researchers have, people in a room trying to complete tasks and their control group, um, they, they both have very loud music in the, in the room, both the control group and the test group. And the control group is just told to complete their task and, and whatever with the loud music booming in their ears. And the test group is given a big red button, kind of like, you know, whatever the, the staples button, but I'm sure it was not that button. <laughs> and they're, they're told that if, if the noise gets to, to be too much for you to just press the button and the control group, I'm sorry, the, the test group did off the charts better for having the button, but the most amazing part of it is that they never press the button. Oh, 
Wow. So, so that's what journaling feels like to me. It's, it's like, you know, you have this pressure valve, you know, you have a way to release the tension and your stress and, and to end the rumination by recording and reflecting. Right. But you don't have to do it every day. And for me, if I'm in a state where I'm like, I don't know how I feel, I just feel like, ugh, and I'm not journaling, I'm even aware in that moment that I'm choosing not to get to the heart of whatever it is. And that that's a choice I've made. And that I'm going to be living with the consequences, which yeah, is either right. being really short with my husband or being like impatient or, or kind of just like, I like to call it like having like a pity party with a timer, right? Like I'm going to have a small pity party, you know, I'm just going to, you know, be in this state, but I always know that there's a way to get me out of it. And so that's that empowering so right there, isn't it? It's, it feels so empowering to know. And, and in my book, I have two 14-day challenges. And I do say you don't have to do them consecutively. But I do think to try to do it every day for a little while will be good just so you can know what I'm talking about in terms of how you feel before and after. And that really is the best marker for you of, you know, whether or not journaling is for you and whether or not this feels good is, you know, before I started journaling, how did I feel? Did I know how I felt? And after journaling, how did I feel? And am I clearer on how I feel? But from what you said too, it sounds like overall that journaling itself can be just that mindfulness practice, but you're, but you're not just sitting there being like, oh, let me just hear sounds and, and stay in my mind. Cause a lot of people have trouble with that, but it's actually doing something, but being in the moment. Exactly. It's, it's for me, it's like kind of like tricking my brain into meditating because I actually, the, the last semester of graduate school, I was diagnosed with ADD. So it's something that I lived with my whole life and just had, you know, just different tricks and modifications that I created for myself that would just help me focus. But when I discovered that I had ADD, it was like, it was a really nice validating journey to be like, oh, okay. So that's why I have to do, you know, X, Y, Z to help myself stay focused. And, and journaling had been my friend, you know, since I was 12 years old and it really did clarify and, and yeah. slow down my brain. And even though I did spend some years meditating with this Zen Sangha locally that, are, that I really loved, and I just haven't because I don't live close to there anymore. I find that meditating with others feels so wonderful and so easy for me, but meditating alone was really hard for me to get going with that because it is going from like hard. the yeah, 90 hard. miles an hour to like three. Let right? me focus on my breath. Right, <laughs> right. right. And, and whereas journaling, like the pen, the journal, they're all visual cues that tell me, okay, time to stop, time to stop. And I can feel like I'm actually doing. But you're still connecting to yourself. And, exactly. And it's exactly. therapeutic. But I guess, what have you found the been the biggest benefits of journaling? Well, you know, because I've been journaling so long, I have so many different benefits based on like what my needs are. But one thing I could tell you from like when I was in my 20s, I was very, I guess I still kind of am this way. Like I, I didn't always think before I spoke <laughs> and I was kind of impulsive and and had, you know, a lot of friends that we just, we just were in the moment doing, doing, doing. And then sometimes things got a little hairy, right? Or, or dramatic, or there were, there were just bigger issues at play. And I really didn't know how to navigate it because we were just doing, right? We were just living our lives and really on the surface. And so what I would do is I would write out a conversation that I knew was looming on the horizon that would be very difficult for me. And I would write it out and I would, while I would be writing it out, I would imagine how the other person would be responding. And I would almost like answer them without them. <laughs> so to just kind of get a more advanced, fleshed out 
idea of what the issue is beyond just like, you know, I talk a lot about being active versus reactive. You know, I felt like I was very reactive when I was younger, where somebody would say something and I'd say something back. And, you know, they did this, which made me feel this. And then I acted this way. But writing it out gave me a chance to notice if they said this, how would I feel? And it allowed me to be more responsible to my own triggers, as opposed to just being like, you made me feel mad. It was more like, when you said that thing, it triggered me and I started feeling a certain way. And so I think that that probably was the most transformational aspect of journaling for me was, was to reimagine these situations where, you know, I used to just make other people the bad guy. Yeah. Right. I was mad at them. They were the one who was bad until I really can slow it down and say, all right, what am I feeling right now? What are, what possibly are they feeling right now? Um, so rehearsing that and slowing it down and taking it out of out of real time and and more into this contemplative space was incredibly helpful. Well, it sounds like that made you be less reactive too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. You know, it's easy to say to somebody like you know, like you're dead to me. <laughs> like we're, we're out. I'm done with you. Right. Yeah. Even well, especially ADHD. Right. I have a lot of ADHD clients too. And some do that too. They're like, Oh, that's it. It's over with this friendship. I was like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Pump the brakes. Let's, let's look back at this for a minute. Right. Like this is too much. It's too much drama. It's like, is, you know, are you bringing some of that? So you know, <laughs> to take that out and just try to understand myself. I mean, really, I, you know, that is, that's the best part of it is just to understand yourself. And it can be humbling, especially, you know, when you look back at the stuff, I actually, I, I wrote a book that I did not publish yet because I don't know how I'm going to publish it. But it's called 30 Novembers. Ooh. And I take one entry from November from the past 30 years and write it out because I'm really interested in kind of like the, the longitudinal brain development that happens with journaling. And so I wanted to just, you know, but looking back at these journals, I really did have to practice a lot of self-compassion when I saw I'm sure. the, way that, the way that I thought and the way I got really embroiled in these dramas and the things that I may have done to create suffering for myself and others. Yeah. But that's so cool that you can see that long of a period of time in yourself to see those changes. It's really neat. Yeah. It, it's really a good thing sometimes never to throw anything away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think that that's the point too. Sometimes I tell clients that you can, cause then looking back, you're like, it gives you a different perspective. It like, really wow, does. I don't even see it that way now. Or, oh my God, totally. And and so much compassion for, for people who are younger than me and are going through what they're going through. Cause I know how hard it is when you, when you don't have that perspective and you know, and I'm, I'm lucky to have lived as long as right. I have and, and now have some perspective and, and know why I was going through what I was going through, you know, partially developmental stages and you know, relationships are hard. Yeah, exactly. And I know I've used, especially with people that have never done journaling before, I've used more guided mm -hmm. questions because mm -hmm. um, I, I do get people that are just like, what? I don't know what to do. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that I think that can be a good way for some people to start out too, is to have some prompt journal prompts and I've used that for trauma too, because I've had some people that don't want to talk about it at all. And that's fine. That's cool. But they're willing to write about it. And I mean, how amazing is that to be able to dip into that to kind of help themselves heal? Yeah. Yeah. And I can give a recommendation along those lines. And something that I, that I tell my clients is, you know, if you're doing inner child work or even just inner selves, right? We have lots of inner selves and, and you're trying to contact some of them to just, you know, get their perspective on what's happening you're not barging in to these compartments that you've made in your brain. You're, you're not 
maybe you're not even knocking on the door if some of these these past selves are jumpy or traumatized. I like to think of it as, you know, making like a paper airplane and kind of throwing it over a fence or sliding an invitation underneath the door, which just says, I would love to talk when you're ready, shoot me a line, right? Like send, That's great. send me a, a telegram, right? And you can invite them. And one way to just shake things up with your mind and access that other part is to ask a question of one of those selves with your dominant hand in your book. And then on the other side of the journal to answer it with your non-dominant hand. Oh, wow. Right. Because you're you're accessing a different part of your brain and you're also, you know, your writing will resemble that of a child to somebody younger than you who's not as great of a writer, which will help connect you with that child and also will slow you down to the, the pace that you really need to be to to honor, respect and, you know, elicit this information as opposed to, you know, being like, tell me now, right now, tell me all about my trauma inner self. Like you're just saying when you're ready, just give me some clues. I think that's great. Sounds like a more gentle way to go in and how cool to think about using the different the non-dominant hand and whole other strategy. And the creative journal by Lucia Capuccione, which one of her exercises also is to, to let your hand go and do like a, like a scribble. And, you know, while you're contemplating one of these questions, just, just, you know, whatever kind of comes out without thinking at all. And then when you're done, whenever kind of you get the message that you're done, then you take a moment and you look at what you did and just see what comes up for you. And so it's, it's one more step removed also. Yeah, that's true. So helpful. Wow, there's so much, so much here. And I think just people opening up their minds that it's not just, I think people have one idea of what journaling is, but there's a whole world out there of it and to keep an open mind with it. And when I see it on social media, I have to say it's all about, not all about, but a lot of it is about really beautiful books. Yes. And really beautiful images and colored pens. And I'm all for creating beautiful things. But I feel like journaling, you've you got to give yourself permission to be really messy yeah. and, and, and to like respect that messy part of ourselves, right? And just allow that that's often where we start. And that's a really honest place. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing too, all the different kinds, because I think that that helps people to open up to that too. So do you have any other thoughts on how to make it a consistent practice? I know you mentioned that you based some of what you did with science and habit formation. Yeah, definitely. I have, I have a lot of tips about that. One that I that I really like comes from Katie Milkman's How to Change. I don't know if you read that book. No. Uh, she's so great. So one thing that she talks about a lot is temptation bundling. And temptation bundling is when you take something that you want to do, but might be a guilty pleasure um, with something that you want to do also, but doesn't come as easily, right? The kind of like the, like the stage two desires. I can't remember how they, they kind of talk about yeah. that, you know, the, the not instant gratification. And her initial article was called, uh, holding, uh, hunger games hostage because <laughs> what she would do is she would listen to uh, hunger games on her, on her device while she was at the gym only. And if she wanted to know what happened next, she had to get back to the gym. Nice. And I know I'll do that, you know, with maybe like a, you know, a beautiful cup of coffee or something, or I'll go out to, to a park or something and, and, and take a nice walk and bring my journal. And, you know, there's nothing else you can do. It's kind of like when you're on a plane, you have a really good time to read a book. Like if I, if all I have is my journal, I will journal, you know, but I also got a nice walk out of it. 
That's true. I think that's a great way to get started. So that's that's one of my favorite ones. The other one is is really just, you know, the, the visual cues and, and the proximity. You want to keep the journal in your eyesight, in your path. Wherever you think you might want to journal is where you want to leave your journal, or at least some really clear directions to your journal, right? You want to make it as as easy as possible to do it. You want to maybe get a nice reading lamp for the side of your bed if you're going to do it in bed. Or you want to get a lap desk if you're going to do it on the couch and keep a journal around or, as I said, at least keep like the, the pen or pencil. It also might be fun to, to get yourself a nice journal that makes you feel happy, like to look at it uh, or to make that, that journal board um, cover. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to be really releasing, again, those, those barriers of entry. Another one is called habit stacking where you are basically piggybacking on this neural network that already exists in your brain for something that you have already made into a habit. Like, for example, brushing your teeth. If you want to create this habit, you're going to keep your journal by your toothbrush so that before you brush your teeth or after you brush your teeth, there's your journal. And you're just kind of like attaching that thing that you're trying to create into a habit to the thing that already is that really hardwired habit. Oh, those are great ideas. I love it. I think just using as many things that you can try if it's if you're struggling to get that consistent practice to see what works for you. And, th- and then again, going back to, to Natalie Goldberg, she, you know, she would have us set our timer for 15 minutes and write. Or I had a, a writing teacher, Melvin Kelly, who would have us just do one page, just do one page a day. And then if I ever felt resistant, I knew that, you know, I could waste 15 minutes like standing on my head. Like it was so easy to wait <laughs> 15 minutes. And I definitely could write one composition book page really easily. And and that way, even, you know, for the beginning, I like to tell people, even if you want to write more, if you're trying to get into the habit, don't, which I know sounds a little antithetical, but what happens is sometimes people get so into journaling that they, they write and write and they like emote and they go on this roller coaster of a journey and it's like a half an hour later and their hands hurting and it's pages. And next time they look at their journal, they're like, you know, no way. (laughs) I'm not going back there. (laughs) I don't want to do that again. So if you create these constraints, you're more likely to get into a habit when it becomes, you know, really easy and, and innocuous and an easy part of your day. I like that easy part of your day. Yeah. So what's a takeaway you could share today that might help listeners who might be just starting their holistic journey? I think the idea about holistic therapy is that we're really opening up the idea of what therapy is. And you want to honor all the different aspects of yourself. And I like to look at, you know, I started out as a Reiki master and I I really align with the chakras a lot. because I think that it, it really relates to each one of our aspects right? Even though we have more than that, but some of the main aspects, you want to make sure that you're taking care of all the aspects of yourself, right? Like you want to make sure that you're doing something creative. You have a creative outlet, something that you're being social, that you're talking to people, you're alive in your body, that you're moving with whatever it is that feels good. All the different aspects of ourselves. We want to make sure that we are doing something to help keep ourselves balanced. I know it was really hard Obviously, when we're all, you know, in lockdown and, and, and afraid to, to get out and to see people or even people couldn't go to their gyms anymore. And people got really creative with the ways that they could create that wholeness for themselves. I know like, you know, parks had record attendance and there's a trail by my house that was always full. So when you think holistic, I think you want to be thinking about 
all the different aspects of yourself and, and how you're treating them. You know, just like nutrition, you want to also do mental health nutrition, spiritual nutrition. Are there ways that you could create more of a sense of belonging to whatever source of, you know, eternal life force, but however you kind of conceptualize that, you just want to make sure that you're letting yourself be alive in all those different aspects. And, you know, even though I'm a psychotherapist and I, and I love talk therapy, there's more than just thinking and, and talking about our stuff. We also really need to invite the other senses and parts of ourselves. Thank you for that. Sure. What's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Well, I've been having a lot of fun on Instagram with my live work wellness page, even though Instagram itself is can sometimes be like a fraught medium for all the reasons <laughs> why people are discovering that these days. But I like doing sometimes, you know, I get into a kick where it is daily uh, mental health tips with a journaling focus. Uh, I also have a blog at my live work solutions website. That's liveworksolutions.com. And you can find my book there too, just backslash shop. I have a really inexpensive ebook and then I have the workbook. And I also have a free intro to journaling course, um, which is on Teachable. And there are, there's links to that on my website too. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jennifer. It's my pleasure. It was so much fun. Yeah. And you've reached the end of another episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Be sure to visit us at our website at www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com to access our show notes and all of our episodes. This is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holistic Counseling Podcast. If you are loving this podcast, please share with your colleagues so we can continue to grow our holistic community. Also, are you ready to take the next step to create an integrative counseling practice? I invite you to sign up for my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest your dream practice. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com, scroll down, and enter your name and email address today. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.